Enter now the age of apocalypse, Shiga, with your hosts, Dayspring and Scott Free. The name's Cable. Remember it. And the only people who can stop apocalypse are the mutants known as Dayspring, Scott Free, and Michelle. This is Captain America, and we need to defeat apocalypse. Oh yeah, and what's up, Familia? This is Dayspring solo today. I don't think I've done a solo episode since last year when it was announced that Hickman was leaving the Xbooks, and I sort of was like, mm, I don't know if that's like really real. So, you know, I figured with uh, Comic Con. Comic-Con sort of coming to an end and it's the morning afterwards. I wanted to sit down and sort of go through everything that went on this weekend. We have a lot of tea to spill, a lot of speculation. And I kept like, I don't know how you guys are, but sometimes I will walk around my apartment or if I'm out working out or jogging or doing yoga, I'm like going over the news in my head. And I'm like, you know, there's so much I want to say on this. So I figured like, hey, why not? I mean, everyone really enjoyed the New York Comic Con coverage. Let me just hit record and do something. And apologies if I sound congested. I'm sure that's going to be lovely for your ears. But I've been on the road for like three weeks. I mean, technically, I've been on the road since March. But um, these last few weeks, I had an intense auction schedule, and then I came back from D.C., which is where my last auction was at. And from D.C., I went straight to New York Comic Con, and we were on the floor doing countless interviews. I mean, I got to tell you, the vibe at New York Comic Con, the vibe at the Javits this year has just been, it was uncanny. It was pre-pandemic levels. and. It was a lot of fun. You know, I usually take the ferry going into New York Comic Con to the Javits because where I live, I have I have ferry access. But I just took the subway as per usual. And when I got off the subway on 34th Street, literally, I, I already saw so many people in cosplay. I mean, it was just insane. And it was such a good, good vibe. And this year, you know, I did it with Minimate It, Scott Free, and my husband, Jeff. We had so much fun. And there was a lot that happened. And I want to make sure we go through it thoroughly because I want to break everything down for you. And if you were tuning in on our Instagram page, you know, I had my phone like glued to my hands. And I was like taking, you know, I was trying to take as much film and and content and take as many photos for content as I possibly could. Because I really, it was important for me that everyone who participates in the Power of X community felt like they had a seat at the table. And that if you couldn't make it to New York Comic Con, you were at least seeing it through 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 our eyes here. So Let's just dive into everything. And I think the first thing we need to discuss is Hasbro Hasbro, and the Engine of Vengeance. Now, this has been somewhat contentious among X fans because Madeline Pryor is one of the unlockables. And she is, I believe, at 10,000. So we have to have 10,000 backers for this HasLab project in order to get Madeline Pryor unlocked. The price point is 350. And there are some people out there who have talked about how the price isn't worth it, that that price doesn't justify the costs of this car. And uh, I'm of two minds of it. One, I totally understand the point that some X fans who are dying for a Madeline Pryor figure, I see their point of view. I mean, so I have to back this project that's not even an X character, drop $350. You know, post-pandemic, everything is so expensive. Inflation is insane. And so now you're telling me in order for me to get a Madeline Pryor figure, 
I need to back Ghost Rider 350 for something that's so expensive for a car I don't even want for a figure I don't want for a character I probably don't know much about. And and I get that. I get that wholeheartedly. On the other end, I do understand, you know, the price point because I love F1. I love car models. Anyone who knows me personally knows like I'm an F1 junkie and car models are actually a lot. And I do think this comes with, uh, you know, really great details, lots of great accessories. And, you know, I love the the smoke effect. I love the fire from the wheels. I love the LED lights. So I'm not I'm not too upset about the price point. I, I in fact I didn't even think the price point was that contentious when it was first announced. I don't think many people were that upset. And you know, on the live, on the on the pulse live, they did make it very clear that they were gonna be doing evil adjacent characters. And they did allude to Maddie, and you know, they had her brooch. And they're like, is that evil apple pie? You know, I'm forgetting what Dwight or Dan or Ryan said. But, you know, they were pretty upfront about it. Now, I know there's confusion because Mephisto was first announced and you thought Mephisto was the first tier to unlock. And now they're throwing Maddie as the first tier and Mephisto's at 12,000. So, you know, there's... There, there are a lot of people out there who have, you know, broken down this HasLab project and have said things like, well, it doesn't seem like Hasbro is as organized. I was talking about this with X Factor Files podcast, Daryl and Philip, and it was me and Flink on in. That episode should be dropping next week. But we were discussing that Hasbro probably has done market research for this, you know. And they, they're not just going to blindly put out a product that they didn't think would have been viable. So, you know, I, I, I get it. This has sort of backfired. And, you know, a lot of X fans are angry, rightfully so, because they're like, well, this is the only way to get Maddie. All right. So, let, so, so let me let, let's break down that statement a little bit. And let me give let me give some tea that I got at New York Comic Con. Okay, because I did interview Dwight and Dan, and I said what up to Ryan. So you know, we 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 made it to the Marvel booth, and they have the Hasbro display with the Engine of Vengeance there, and obviously Maddie and Mephisto. And you know, I have a video of me crying and like you know, like touching the glass because I just want the Maddie figure so much. And I talked to Dwight first. And we were just talking about the engine of vengeance, Maddie, why she's so great. And then I talked to Dan as well. I asked Dan, like, hey, ha ha ha, who's a better clone, Ben Riley or Madeline Pryor? Because I know you're such a Spider Man fan, you know, so we got a good chuckle out of it. It's on Instagram. Check out those reels. But once the camera stopped rolling, I was like, hey, man. To, to Dwight and went, hey man, I'm so sorry to hear about all like the backlash there. We all really want Maddie. And Dwight kind of opened up to me and he was just like, you know, I hear the backlash on that. You know, we really want to do Madeline Pryor. Dwight, as a sidebar, is a really big Jean Grey fan. Like back in 2013, when the Jean Grey and the Rocket Raccoon series came out, my husband just went crazy with joy at the Hasbro booth in San Diego. And Dwight was like recording it, taking a photo because he was here. Like, I'm such a big Jean Grey fan. I'm so glad to see that you guys are enjoying it. So Dwight is a Jean Grey fan. He obviously knows Maddie. And he's here like, Maddie is a character I've been wanting to get out for a while. And it was, you know, a labor of love to get her approved, you know, with Marvel with retailers because of her outfit, right? And he's here like, listen, we, we are well aware that the costume isn't 100% comics accurate, but if you see how we kind of designed this figure, you, we've designed it in such a way that you can remove the torso and you can give her the proper underboob. <laughs> you know what I mean? Which is such an absurd thing to say out loud. But, you know, we're listen, we're geeks. We like our comic book accurate legends. Maddie, you know, the torso isn't 100% accurate, but it's okay. Dwight knew this. It was very contentious 
to get it approved otherwise. So they, this is the version of Maddie we are getting. And it, it, it was, Dwight felt like very sincere when he was telling me this, that this is their way of getting Maddie in there. You know, so I, I hear it. I hear, I hear the feedback on it. But at the same time, I get it. I mean, we knew for years, if you've been collecting Marvel Legends since its inception, we all worried that we would never get an Emma Frost because of how scandalous her outfits are. And sure enough, we have gotten Hellfire, you know, Emma Frost via a Hellfire box set. I keep wanting to say Hellfire Gala, Hellfire Club box set. So, you know, they, they, they have to be very smart on how they release these figures. You know, the other end of the conversation is, well, you know, there that you can release Maddie as a Hasbro shop exclusive, you know, like a deluxe figure, throw in some demons, stuff like that. And I, I feel that's very viable. That's a viable, you know, counter argument because, you know, there is that fear tactic being implemented that, like, if you don't back this project, you're never getting a Madeline Pryor. You know, they also said that about Mephisto, and I find that very hard to believe that they can't find a venue for for Mephisto to be released. Because Mephisto, if you were watching WandaVision, and then some, Mephisto was always trending. Mephisto, all eyes have been on Mephisto. In fact, I really am going to take the MCU to task here, because the fact that they haven't even done Mephisto in Spider-Man or Doctor Strange... Like, given how much hype it was, there was for the character in WandaVision, it baffles me to no end. So, I don't know. I, I can accept the argument for Maddie because, obviously, her costume is a bit more scandalous, a little bit more salacious. But someone like Mephisto, I you put slap him on a bath in some kind of wave, and it, that's it. You know, the figure's going to move. You're going to be able to move that figure. Similarly, I do think with Maddie, you could get Maddie out the door. Just do her as a Hasbro toy shop exclusive if this doesn't work. Now, listen, I, you tell us, you DM me, you let me know where you land on the argument. I'm going to tell you right now, the the backers for for this Engine of Vengeance keeps dropping. We're at 5,216. I've only backed one. I'm not gonna. I, I'm not gonna throw an HT to some of the people I love more than anything. But I know some people are backing more than one, and I love that. I mean, listen, we have 21 days, 12 hours, and 32 minutes. I think I want to drop an episode talking about why you should back this project. I I do think I say this with a lot of respect to Haslab and Hasbro and what they do because I really I love the Sentinel. I am dying for Galactus. I was expecting something else this year. And listen, they wanted to do something different. It's Ghost Rider's 50th anniversary. They wanted to do something different. And they're entitled to do something different. I think maybe they overestimated Ghost Rider's popularity, perhaps. I think they overestimated you know, what people are willing to pay for. For something like this, I honestly think had this been 250 and you got two more figures in it already out the gate, we wouldn't be having this conversation. I probably would not have backed this project if Maddie wasn't in it in any way, shape, or form. But it is a beautiful, there's no doubt this is a beautiful car, beautiful figures that are coming with it. So there's a lot of thought that has been put into this. I just think like the rollout has just been somewhat contentious. But Anyways, you guys let us know your thoughts on the HasLab Engine of Vengeance, and we can take it from there. I do want to drop an episode about it, talking about why I think we should back it. But, you know, it's we are a family here. We have a big old communal table. Let us know your thoughts, and we'll we'll sort of take it from there. Other thing for New York Comic Con I definitely want to chat about is some of the tea I got on Dark Web. So get comfortable. Dark Web is the big crossover that's happening with Spider-Man and the X-Men. It has Maddie and Ben Riley, Ben Riley teaming up and unleashing hell on Earth again. You know, I'm not I'm not too familiar with what what the marketing copy is, but if you know me, you know that I love 
love, love, love reading the X-Men. But I have been off the weekly comics as of late, ever since Inferno and Trial of Magneto. I just haven't been vibing with the weekly X books. So I'm like, I'll just wait till they're on Marvel Unlimited or I'll just, you know, read recaps online, stuff like that. I think if you read comic books your entire life, you, you kind of tap in, tap out at certain points. I, I love the Messiah Complex era, but, you know, there were points of it where I did tap out of it before I tapped back in. But anyways, I ran into the assistant editor who was going to be doing dark web. And I was like, listen, I fucking love these characters so much. I love Madeline Pryor. I love Ben Riley. but you know, if you're going to do Madeline Pryor, you got to, you got to answer the question. Does this Madeline have the memories of her time with Nate gray? And the editor was like, Oh, just you wait and see, have faith in Zeb Wells. And boom, yeah, I can't fucking believe it that they, they could possibly be going back to the Nick Gray era. You know, not going back, but that Maddie, they're, they're going to touch base on it and that Maddie has those memories. Now, in fairness, that's not really a lot of groundbreaking news because Jordan D. White did say in some interview that the Madeline who is alive and running around the Marvel Universe right now has the memories of everything up to Inferno, her time with Nate Gray, you know, and 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 sort of she she's whole in that regard. But Jordan D. White has also said things like, oh yeah, Scott and Jean aren't really married because she died and then her will would have been executed and she, their marriage would have been annulled. And we know in the recent X books, Jean and Cyclops are referring to each other as husband and wife. So and also, what whatever a creator says, you know, in interview doesn't always necessarily mean it's canon in the in the story. But I is Nate Gray coming back for Dark Web? I would love Nate Gray to come back. That makes perfect sense. He was best friends with Spider Man during during his time. He and Maddie have a really close relationship, and technically, he's an alternate universe character and he's not an alternate universe counterpart to cable they have made that distinction very clear over the years that nate gray and cable are not alternate universe counterparts but he is of the duplicate clone ish you know group <laughs> you know regardless of, of of those fine details that only crazy nate gray stands like myself know. so ben riley madeline Pryor, and nate gray i'm really excited for that and, you know, we talked to Zeb Wells. We did hit up Zeb Wells on the con floor. He was so kind. Like, Familia, stop what you're doing and make sure you read all of his books. His New Mutants was really, really good. His Hellions, obviously, is epic. I mean, you know, Cece over at Planet X-Men loves Nanny. And that's because he really, he really did deliver on, on that run. And it was one of those really fun books that everyone, everyone really enjoyed. So anyways, we talked to him. Uh, that interview is on our Instagram feed. Of course, you know, he was tight lip about everything. So we don't want to disrespect creators, but you know, he gave me that knowing nod when, when we're talking about like Maddie and like, who's a better clone, you know, he's, He's a great guy. I have no doubt that dark web is actually going to be a really well done crossover and i'm going to be back reading those weekly i do want to cover it for the podcast so we are going to have it on the podcast but mm, sorry i'm sipping my coffee oh but speaking of other creators we ran into peter david who obviously had the legendary x-factor run and that's another shout out to daryl i had to talk to him i got his email so hopefully we'll have him on the podcast later on you know in 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 the coming months but I talked to him about Layla Miller and how Layla Miller was sort of like a character he could play with following House of M. Because if you read House of M, it is strongly implied that Layla Miller is a manifestation of Wanda. That Wanda really wanted to use her to guide the the, mut or the mutants, the team, to House of M, to Genosha, and sort of, you know, was a failsafe to everything. So, you know, he he talked about how he had fun, you know, sort of creating her. And then 
We also talked about the infamous scene with baby Sean and Teresa. And he, he, he mentioned that he, that, that was never really originally part of the plan that baby Sean was going to be a dupe. Let me rewind. For those of you who don't know in X factor, Jamie and Siren sleep together and Siren becomes pregnant and she gives birth to a little baby and names him Sean after her father, who at this point in the comic books is dead. So when Jamie comes to the hospital to meet the baby, Jamie unknowingly absorbs him back into him because the baby was a dupe. And it was such a heartbreaking scene for the reader at the time. You're just like, what? Oh my God. That's horrible. It was such a horrible scene, but you know, excellent writing. And it was a, it was, it, it was a great, awful twist that really sucker punched the reader. So, you know, I asked him about that because how could you not ask him about that? And he was saying it was because, you know, originally he wanted, you know, her to have the baby and it would have been a mutant baby. But Marvel was like, no, you can't do that because we're actually doing Messiah complex in which the first mutant baby is going to be born. So there you have it because of baby Spalding for Teresa Cassidy lost baby Sean and, you know, it, it was just such a really great tea. Hopefully, we're going to be having Peter David on the podcast in the future. I am so very excited to have him on. He is a really awesome, awesome human being. I also spoke to Mark Svestri. I, listen, if you know me, I hate waiting in lines. I'm not all about waiting in like a two-hour line and giving someone money so they can sign some of my stuff. I, It's a part of fandom that I really respect because I think it's so cool to have like a poster or a comic signed by your favorite creator. But for me, I just like, I, I don't have the attention span to wait in line and I've never been one to like autographs. Like I like selfies. That 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 is what I like that. I will wait in line for a selfie, but you know, to get things autographed and stuff like that, I'm like, eh, I don't know. But speaking of Messiah complex, Mark Silvestri did issue one of of Messiah Complex, and it was his return to the Xbox. I mean, he wasn't really gone because he did Here Comes Tomorrow, but I'm pretty sure Messiah Complex won, and then he did some covers, obviously, but then he did Dark X-Men. I want to say he did like a Utopia Dark X-Men thing, and and that's it. He really hasn't been on uh, the Xbox since. So I really wanted him to sign Messiah Complex. We love Messiah Complex quite a bit here, but I had to wait in line for him. I went up to him. I told him, dude, like your Outback era X-Men like that. That was a vibe. Everything, you know, your art, everything you've done at Top Cow. I love Top Cow has just resonated with me so much. You know, fun fact, back in 2006, I got an internship with Renee Gearlings. Girlings, I don't know how to pronounce her name, but she was the editor in chief at Top Cow. I got an internship with her, but I... I also got an internship at Marvel. So I went to Marvel instead of Top Cow. But I have always regretted it because Top Cow is always like the vibe I've always thought of with like comics. Like I just love that like dark, gritty, highly octane, very stylized art and storytelling. So when I tell you meeting Mark Silvestri is like meeting Grant Morrison. It's, you know, I'm always going to love that. And I actually interviewed him at wizard back in the day and he was very kind and i'm proud to say he was very kind here too we kind of talked a little bit of getting him on the podcast but you know it's mark Silvestri. i'm sure like hundreds of people come up to him with like those kind of requests all the time but he was super dope super great we got him to say power of x-men and he talked about like how much he's enjoyed like comic cons and he was just such a really really great human being. So if you have time, always wait in line for Mark Silvestri. Next to Mark Silvestri though, as I was waiting and I didn't know this. I didn't even it's like I think it was either my husband or Mr. Scott Free who had to point out Hickman. I was literally standing in front of Hickman when waiting for Mark Silvestri. So I have a video of me like zooming in on literally Jonathan Hickman because he is only like like five feet away from me. And it's so funny. Like I wanted to, 
I wanted to say something funny, like Hickman, come back to the comics. But like, I don't know. It, it's it's one of those things where you're like, ah, we, we do have like a community here. You know, we do have a presence in the X-Men conversation. I don't want to like embarrass all of us, but be like, Hickman. But he was there. He was signing. Also a very nice guy. We've talked about this on the podcast before. Everyone we've interviewed who has worked with Hickman from comic book sellers to artists to editors to fellow writers have all said what a great guy Hickman is. And I have to tell you, I was there for like five minutes in front of him at literally looking at everything he's doing. So I'm trying to see a morsel of information that may ooze from him that could indicate that he'll come back to the Xbox and the way he interacted with all the people coming up to him was just so, so incredibly lovely. He was engaged. He was thoughtful. I mean, a lot of these creators, I have to tell you guys, a lot of these creators are good people. And you just go up to them. They want to have a conversation. They were, you know, they were readers and stands, you know, first before they came, became creators. So absolutely, you get a chance to go to these cons, wait in line to see your favorite one. Absolutely do it. You know, I wanted to wait in line for 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 Rob Liefeld. I know he's really contentious, but listen, those first like eight issues of X-Force, I'm always going to love. It's going to have a special place in my heart. I brought my Sabotage trade paperback. But his line was definitely way too long. Similarly, Justin and Alicia from the XY4 waiting in line for Jim Lee. I think they posted a photo with him. I definitely felt the FOMO when I saw that photo. I was like, oh, man, like I want Jim Lee. But I saw him at San Diego Comic-Con on the streets. I took a selfie with him. He was a nice guy to me. I really, I really thoroughly enjoyed him. You know, again, like Peter David, for example, like, Flink was telling me that he was kind of snarky with Flink. I, I, you know, he wasn't snarky with me at all. Peter David, I was like, dude, can I sit next to you? I took off all his, he like moved all his stuff from his seat. And I just sat next to him, interviewing him, interviewing him, asking him questions. So I got to tell you, maybe it was just a vibe at New York Comic Con, but everyone was just so happy to be there. I mean, New York Comic Con last year was kind of like dreary, but I don't want to say dreary, but like, we were still like not sure how you congregate. You know what I mean? Like people were still definitely being very bashful. But speaking of bashfulness and someone who was not was Fabian Nicieza, who was literally everything you want him to be. He was very snarky in a good way. I, I, I want to preface this by saying in a good way, very engaging, very snarky, very witty. We talked to him about you know Wolverine and Deadpool you said I was really happy I just like driving my checks you know what I mean we had Mr. Scott Free who was dressed up as Morph and sort of the running gag we were going around telling people was like or asking people is is Mr. Scott Free evil or hungover and you know obviously we asked that to Fabian and Fabian was like neither Morph is just really hung and it was just so funny Great guy. Also got his info to get him on the podcast. We'll see where we land on that. But, you know, he he, he mentioned that he doesn't really want to do interviews about books he wrote like 30 years ago anymore. You know, he wants like interviews with like fresh new angles and that if there's anything, you know, you need to know about his thoughts on the particular thing, it's there in the past, you know. So I, I respect that. And, you know, that's one thing with like Power of X-Men that we always try to do is keep everything sort of fresh and fun and like ask different conversations. But, you know, TBA on, on on Fabian, we would love to have him. We did also get to speak with Jed McKay, who I interviewed with Cole over at Masters of Comic Books. And, you know, he writes Moon Knight, Black Cat. He also wrote a utopian story with Dazzler. And, and here's some tea. Oh, 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 here's some tea. So Jed really wanted to pitch a Krakoan era story focused on Dazzler. He loves Dazzler. He thinks she's really great. The pitch sadly did not work out. But someone like freaking Jed McKay writing Dazzler would be next level. And I don't 
I don't think he wanted to unveil what he wanted to do because, you know, it's always a possibility and fingers crossed that we can get, you know, him on, on the books. The, here's the thing I say about Jed McKay. Jed McKay is an interesting writer because you walk away from his books feeling very full from like just one issue. And you're like, oh, that was only 22 pages versus, you know, other writers where sometimes you walk away and you're like, what was the point of this issue? Or, wow, that was a very dense, heavy issue. You know what I mean? So you have the spectrum. One where something's very dense and so heavy and you're like, damn, my brain hurts from reading this. I have to read this over and over again. And then at the other end of the spectrum, oh my God, you know, what happened in this issue? Nothing happened. He occupies this this the, the, this really fine tightrope line like he can walk it so well where you feel so much happen and so full and it was very entertaining and you want more at the end there's only two other writers i feel can do this so jed mckay being one the other two being tom taylor and kelly thompson i feel anytime i walk away from one of their issues i just feel a i want more b that was a good storytelling like i don't think either of them have ever written a bad issue. Even their quote-unquote worst issues are way better than anything, you know, that that some other people put out. So I love, love Jed McKay. We are big Jed McKay stands here. I read all of his Moon Knight run when we interviewed him for Masters of Comic Books. Could not tell you what happened in it because literally read it within the span of two days, absorbed the information and out. That's sort of how I am with like my auctioneering. I can read everything. I can absorb it. I can regurgitate it. But then the second I'm done with that with that gig, it just evaporates from my mind. And so similarly with Jeb McKay's Moon Knight, but it is really good. You will love it. His Black Cat is awesome. I mean, his Black Cat is epic. So go check out his Black Cat. Uh, let's see. I I want to I want to hit some more tea. I wanted this to be a really quick episode, and of course we're ranting now. But quick tea passed by Claremont. Cat called him and said, "Yo, Claremont, we love you." And he just looked back and waved a smile. That is also on Instagram. His line wasn't that long. We waited last year um, for him. And someone was talking to him for like 42 minutes to an hour. And he was going on there. And I just, you know, I couldn't wait in that line again. But his line wasn't very long. It would have been doable. But Claremont likes to talk to people. You know, he's kind of like that get off my lawn, you know, old man sort of vibe. I Listen, I have a selfie with him. Last year, he was very lovely. Again, like, I, we don't... Here's the thing about Power of X-Men that I will say I'm very proud of. We don't really go in and, like, push buttons or stuff like that when we're talking to people. We just really want to know feels and tea from, you know, that person's perspective. So, you know, with Claremont, last year we waited for him with Muted Musings and the ex-wife, and he was a very... Very kind person to us. He took plenty of selfies, photos, gave us ample time. I didn't have anything for him to sign. I just wanted a selfie. But um, he was great. Cat called him. He had the biggest smile on his face. You know, he, he you know, he, he's one of those guys who has, like, when they smile, their nose becomes a little red as well. And it's like a very joyous smile. Like, you can tell it's an authentic smile. You know, for forever, how snarky he could be about talking about certain X-books and stuff like that. Very lovely, very lovely. Uh, Luciano, who we've had on the podcast too, he did our San Diego Comic Con Rogue as well. He was he was there. We talked to him, you know, gave him lots of high fives. Told him, you know, how much we love Iceman. Is it, it you know, is his Iceman the end, or are we going to be seeing some more Iceman? I think uh, it was sort of a wait and see situation. So, Luciano Vecchio. Awesome, awesome artist and writer. So go check him out. He did go to our Bar Sinister Happy Hour, which was at Yotel. It was fun. You know, I, I let's see like, what, what happened at the Bar Sinister Happy Hour. I want to, want to think if there was anything. I, I got really drunk. Shocking. Wow. I'm sure anyone who's listening to this, who knows my personality, who who follows us along on Power of X Men's Instagram page who engages with us at the power of X-Men Instagram page knows that like, listen, I love my happy hour. You know what I mean? I love having fun. We were locked up within a pandemic for like almost two years. 
I like to go out and I like to engage with people. And we did it with the other podcasters who were, you know, so much fun. Me and Warpath Dylan, we had some one-on-one time, really nice heart-to-heart. And we recreated the Gene and Emma scene from the end of Hawksbox, where Gene comes with the beer. So that should be up on Instagram soon, if not already, by the time you listen to this. And yeah, I, I think Luciano went there. Matteo Loli was there. Rod Rice, who we've had on the podcast before. With the Scouting Sun, we interviewed him back in March 2021. I, you know, I, I, I felt very lucky to be there. It did get so fucking cold. So I had to go inside and like get us like a space, you know, in the back bar um, just so we can all like warm up. And it was a great turnout. So wonderful. You know, I think I said this on the uh, on the Instagram page or the Instagram stories, which is. You know, when I was doing cons pre-pox, I, I just went to these cons solo or with my husband. We'd walk around the con floor and then just be like, okay, let's go back home and have dinner. I feel so lucky to be part of like this really big community with so many wonderful personalities. It's just, you know, there was a point in at, at, at the at, at, at the happy hour where I was very drunk because Warpath got me a lemon drop shot and then i want to be like get a whiskey shot so so fucking drunk but um yeah so we did those two shots back to back but I, I took a moment there and i just looked around i was like damn these contemporaries these fellow podcasters these fellow humans that are part of this like comic book community damn i'm just so lucky to be part of the conversation everyone it's just it's a very admirable quality that people have to see a lot of these people IRL and just it I feel very lucky is all I want to say. But all right, back to some some con stuff. Let's see, let's see, let's see. Oh, Diamond. I went to the Diamond booth, you know, because last time when I was at San Diego Comic Con, I was like, oh man, Diamond actually had a lot at their booth that I didn't really snag. I didn't see as much there, you know, to be honest with you, but you know, they they did have a Marvel Galleries comic. PVC Psylocke, which looked pretty dope. I was excited for that. You know, they also had uh, a Marvel Premiere Collection Apocalypse statue, which, you know, I think has his Ten of Swords sword there. We're obviously getting a Marvel Select Cyclops, so that's going to be pretty exciting. Um, more busts of the animated series. Uh, I saw Jubilee. She looked fine. Xavier looked fine. I don't really collect those. I may end up getting the Phoenix one because um, she has like a translucent Phoenix effect and that looked really good. But, you know, and listen, this is where I'm going to go crazy. You know, she does have blue eyes, you know, like Jean Grey has green eyes, not blue eyes. I know that was in the animated series. She had blue eyes the entire time until she was Dark Phoenix and it was green. And that was supposed to be Larry Houston's nod to say that she was back to being herself in the dark Phoenix saga. I don't know if maybe green eyes are harder to, you know, cost more from an animation perspective and it's just easier to give blue or they just never really thought about it. So they kind of like fixed it just for the dark Phoenix saga, but like, you know, for the actual bust itself, I'm like, Oh, she's got blue eyes, but that's fine. You know, we won't be too crazy. And then they, they have a really nice 3d like comic bust of, uh, of Magneto. So that looked really good. So, you know, stuff I'm probably not going to buy. Maybe the Marvel Select Apocalypse. But we'll see. Other things that we did, we went around the con floor and asked as many Wandas um, to say no more mutants. And that was really interesting. Familia, listen, I don't want to... I'm not going to be shady about anything. Like, you know, we're not about being shady. But, you know... It is. I don't. You love that. I'm like, I'm not going to be shady, but dot, dot, dot. Here's the thing. Going up to someone who's dressed up as a very iconic character and asking them to say no more mutants, you would think like, oh, maybe they have an idea of House of M and what happens with the X-Men just because it's out there. I mean, Elizabeth Olsen has talked about House of M. Elizabeth Olsen has been on interviews saying no more mutants. And it's it's sort of an iconic line for the character. Right, I think we can all agree that No More Mutants is an iconic line for Wanda. 
And, you know, I just thought it would be funny, like, oh, let me get some, like, footage, you know, brainstorming content. Like, again, I'm learning as I go along here. You know what I mean? At these cons. I mean, I, I go from being solo at cons to then hosting a, a, a panel with Michelle and doing the 30th X-Men anniversary, then now coming to New York Comic Con and actually covering New York Comic Con. And I haven't covered a con since I worked at Wizard. So, you know... I'm learning as I go, and, and and I'm getting DMs, I'm getting feedback, I'm seeing what people really do engage with. You know one thing that everyone loves at these shows? Seeing the cosplayers. Yeah, everyone loves the cosplayers. I mean, Heroes for Hire, by the way, I'm sorry, if drop what you're doing right now and go to Heroes for Hire cosplay, that's Heroes for, like the, like the number four cosplay, Heroes for Hire cosplay did a wonderful apocalypse, did a wonderful cable. That shit stops a room, and it makes people happy to see. So I'm like, damn, look at that. Like, ah, everyone's responding to the cosplay stuff, so let me let me get Wanda's. There's so many Wanda's. There were more Wanda's than those cheap eBay Spider-Man suits that everyone wears. You know which ones I'm talking about? Like the, the spandex that you just wear with sneakers. You get it on eBay for like $30. I have like five of them. I've worn it before, you know, on Instagram Lives, especially our Halloween episode last year with Clan Scanny. So, you know, there were so many Wanda's. I'm like, oh, it'd be so funny if I got like people to say no more mutants. And let me tell you, there were some people who absolutely got it without a beat. I asked this one guy and I was like, oh, you know, Dude, say no more mutants. And he literally went on the floor and said, no more mutants. You know what I mean? This other this other girl I asked, she, I was like, say no more mutants. And she was like, no more mutants. And then took a bite out of her tasty delight. <laughs> you know what I mean? Whatever, Froyo. Uh, another one was like chugging beer after she said it. It was, it was really funny. But I did go up to some people and they looked at me like I had like two heads for asking them to say no more mutants. And like, you know, I, and it's kind of awkward. Like, I get it. I'm like, ha, hey, say no more mutants for this random person on like my Insta story. Like, I get it where it's really jarring. But I, I also said, like, some people were like, is this a conservative thing? I was like, oh, my God. Like, you know what I mean? Like, no, it's not a conservative thing. It's just a line from the comic books. And then when I posted it, um, I, I got like a comment of someone saying something to the effect like this was a very serious part in the story and you're making fun of it. And I'm like, whoa, chill. This is an imaginary character uttering her iconic line that reshaped the X-Men for literally almost like over a decade, right? House of M was 2005 and the Messiah story sort of came into fruition around 2010 and we only just got the resolution with Trial of Magneto, and it's 2021 when that happened. So I would just say, well, like, not trying to disrespect the, the gravity of the story. It's just No More Mutants is an iconic Wanda line. We love Wanda here. We're big Wanda stands from the comics. I have loved Wanda since the 90s, since West Coast Avengers. So the person who left me that comment i wonder if you've been reading the comics since then because we love wanda so much i literally got into a fight with jesse falcon when toy biz said they were going to cancel the series 11 scarlet witch figure because it didn't look good but it still came out so you know and i love mcu wanda i love elizabeth olsen wanda so us wanting her to say no more mutants it's been something that's been so highly anticipated I just want to be like, chill. We're all just having fun and celebrating geekdom. Like, don't don't be toxic like that. But yeah, so it was it's it was like really contentious to ask people to say no more mutants. And it's like, shit, we're just having fun here. That's it. There's no disrespect to the gravity of the story. There's no disrespect to the character because we're insane Wanda stance here. We're just trying to have a good kiki here at New York Comic Con. And I'll tell you. The person who, when she said no more mutants and chugged her beer, got it. That's all this is. We're all here to have fun. So let's see. What else? What else? What else? We did have Scott Free there. Obviously, he was Vulcan. He was Morph and he was North Star. When he was Morph, we had so much fun. People were stopping him because everyone loves Morph. And we were asking people, you know, is Morph hungover or just evil? And it was 
it was fun. A lot of the responses were fun. Um, yeah, we got a lot of announcements. We got Immoral X-Men, which, fun fact, I thought was still Immortal X-Men. <laughs> and people were like, oh, you have a typo there. I'm like, mm, do I? Do I have a typo? And actually, turns out they were right. I did have a typo. It is Immoral X-Men. I just thought it was Immortal X-Men doing Sins of Sinister, you know, tie-in stuff. But it's going to be Immoral X-Men. Let's wait and see um, what's going to happen there. You know, we also got the announcement that Teeny Howard's going to write Captain Britain, which, listen, uh, I, I okay, here, here are my thoughts on Teeny Howard. I think Teeny Howard is a very good writer. And I I think it was, oh, God, what, what was that tie-in? Was it Empire uh, that she wrote with Hickman? I think it was like their empire crossover. The one where Wanda raises like the dead plant people, zombies. I will tell you this. Yeah, it was empire. I will tell you this. That first issue is probably one of the best written Krakoan books ever. I think Jonathan Hickman can be very cold and sterile with his characters, how they interact. And I think Teeny Howard can be very involved and meticulous in her world building so you get these two and you put them together and you get a perfect story so i want to be very clear i think teeny howard is a very good writer i think teeny howard is a very capable writer but i have not given a shit about what's going on with other world i have not read knights of x which is mind-blowing to me i think i read like half the first issue i'm like i just my brain i can't do this i thought Excalibur for the Dawn of X titles when the they were launching Excalibur was my number one pick I was like I'm dying to read Excalibur and I read Excalibur well past Ten of Swords you know what I mean but I just I just couldn't do it anymore I really wish Teeny Howard would just go to another book get get something new and and and, and do a fresh start because I think she's so capable of of doing a good book but listen I love Betsy as Captain Britain. I think it's a great idea. It's just falling short for me. I think the current storytelling, I'm just not 100% wild about. Um, we are getting Rogue and Gambit mini series. I think it's like a limited series that's coming in March 2023. I believe I think I read that on Calvin's page, which is from the ashes. So go please check out Calvin's page. But I think the cover is Rogue and Gambit and Destiny in the back. And obviously, we got an issue of X-Men where the three of them were interacting, and we know Gambit is at odds with his mother-in-law. That is what makes the X-Men special, in my opinion. I think Stephanie Phillips is writing it, and Carlos Gomez is doing the art. Listen, that that messy interpersonal relationships with the X-Men are stuff I love, I enjoy. So... You know, I'm I'm looking forward to this. And obviously, we're big fans of Rogue here at the podcast. We are good friends with Lenore Zan. So all eyes on that. And then we have Fall of X coming summer 2023. So big epic X-Men crossover again next, 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 next summer. I was going to say next fall. You know, I think it was Jonathan Loves X-Men who said, like, the acronym is Fox. So that's pretty cute, Fox. But yeah, I don't... Listen, will it be the fall of the Krakoan Age? I don't think so. I've seen a lot of speculation online. I would be shocked. I would genuinely be shocked if it is going to be the end of the X-Men era on Krakoa. I think Krakoa, I personally have not been vibing with the stories, but we do value ourselves here at Power of X-Men uh, in being objective. But... um you know, I just, I haven't been vibing with it. I think, though, it has been doing really, really well from a marketing and visibility standpoint. I mean, I feel like the last two years or three years, however long the Hawkspox era has been going on, I'm going to tell you, all eyes have been on the X-Men. I mean, if you were a comic book reader, you knew the X-Men were being relaunched with Jonathan Hickman. You know this was a big deal. You know it has changed the way we do we they do comics now so you know i i would be very surprised if fall of x would be the end of the krakoan era do i want it personally to be the end of the krakoan era yeah i i want the x-men back at the mansion i want them back in westchester in the mansion and i want them to feel more like a found family in a world that fears and hates them 
That being said, though, again, I understand the need to evolve the metaphor, you know, the way, you know, the other is handled from a narrative perspective is very different than it was in the 90s. And I think there's something very beautiful and empowering that, you know, the mutants came together as a nation. I just think the storytelling has been a bit wayward. The world building has been flimsy. I haven't necessarily agreed with all the editorial choices, but there is no denying that this is actually a really good moment for the X-Men. So, you know, is Fall of X going to be the end of it? I doubt it, but I think maybe we're going to get some resolution with any seeds that were planted with Hickman because Inferno really, listen, again, I love it. I, I love Hickman, but Inferno did not deliver. Someone still needs to explain to me why it was named Inferno because an, an Inferno did not happen and an emotional or symbolic Inferno did not happen either. So it just wasn't, I don't know. I wasn't a fan of Inferno. I wasn't a fan with what they did with Moira in there. I mean, Hickman, again, great world builder. I, I was shocked that that is you know supposed to be his swan song, air quotes, because Hickman can land a plane. Cena Grace told us that when we had him on the podcast last summer. Hey, you see, like Hickman is known for being able to land a plane. And I agree, you read Secret Wars. That was absolutely wonderful. You know, it was a big epic event. And Inferno kind of felt, I don't know, felt more like a, a little like campfire. <laughs> Anyways, all right, Familia. That's it. That's all the ranting. That's all the New York Comic Con tea and uh, breakdown I wanted to do. Feel free to hit me up at Power of X-Men. We have Victoria Blade on the podcast right now. Please go check out that interview. She was on WandaVision. She was a woman in the commercials. Absolutely loved her. Really great. Really great human. We have other stuff coming your way in the coming weeks. We're still going to plow through Age of Apocalypse. Hoping to wrap that up in the coming months. We have an interview with Scott Lobdell, and I've talked about for two years at this point. You know, we held back on airing it, but we are donating to Me Too, and we're just going to air the interview as is. You know, it's just giving context for Age of Apocalypse and a lot of his other 90s work, but we encourage you to donate to Me Too. We have donated to Me Too for it, so you'll be seeing that in the coming weeks. We have Alex Brewer from Mondo, who is a sculptor. So all those wonderful X-Men animated figures you're seeing over at Mondo, we talked to him all about it. Really excited for it. And we have Chuck Austin coming as well. We got the hookup from Chad over at Gray Malkin Lane. Chad's going to air his episode first, and then we're going to air ours afterwards. So please check it out. We have such great stuff coming down the pipeline. Hit me up at Power of X-Men, and we'll talk to you guys later. Well, thanks, sugar. The Age of Apocalypse is now over, and we'll see you next time. The Age of Apocalypse is over. For now.